Thank you. So good to be here. The Lord has an amazing... No, I'm just kidding. My, that's not my voice. I'm a Californian just like you. My, my voice is normal. Like one third of you are like, we know you prayed with us earlier today. Sorry for the deception. Uh, my name's Aaron, and I'm the high school pastor over at Calvary Chapel Vista. It's so good to be with you guys. And um, yeah, let's get into it. Um, I'll pray, and then we'll get into the message. Lord, we love you. God, I pray that you would just bless this time. I pray that you would speak. God, I'm just a man up here with words, but you have the words of life, and you speak through your spirit. I pray tonight you'd speak through your spirit, and that they wouldn't be my words, but that they would be your words, and that we would have ears to hear the things that you want to say to us. Please bless this time, Lord. I pray that you would speak clearly, and that we would hear from you exactly what it is you want us to hear, Lord. We love you, and we give you this night in your name. Amen. How you guys doing? Good. Good to see you. So, here's my opening proposition. Um, last words. They tend to be pretty important. You know, like in movies when someone's dying and you reach down and you're speaking to them and their last words are usually their last requests. Um, anyone ever go to church camp growing up? Anyone ever go to Green Valley Lake? Yeah? Yeah, so good. So, um, when I was a kid going up to church camp at Green Valley Lake, I was always afraid of getting mauled by a bear, you know, in the woods. And I always thought about my last words, you know, what I would say, and I thought it'd be a great way to mess with my friends um, and just be a jerk to my friends. So, because it's like, you know, they have to do what you ask them because it's your last words. So, you know, I'm just imagining them out walking with my friends. A bear comes out of nowhere, mauls me. I'm laying on the ground bleeding, and my friend Jeff, you know, leans down near me, and I'm like, Jeffrey, sweet, sweet Jeffrey, <laughs> my last request to you. And he's like, whatever, man, whatever you want, I'll do it. And I'm like, you've always, been, you've always been so kind, Jeffrey. I would love it if you just, in my honor, opened up an orphanage for baby turtles, because without father figures, how will they ever come out of their shells? I'm sorry. I should just leave now. That was a terrible joke. I used to be a junior high pastor, so there you go. Okay. So now we'll get serious. <laughs> Last words, they tend to actually be serious business. When someone who is important to you dies, you want to be there to hear those last words so you can carry out their wishes. And I wonder how many of you know Jesus' last words. Anybody want to take a stab at it? Jesus' last words. If you know it, just yell it out. It is finished? Yeah? Okay, you are correct. However... Jesus actually was somebody who got a do-over at his last words. He was on the cross, and he cries out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he said this, he breathed his last. Um, but Jesus came back, and he lived this other second life before he went back to heaven. And so the second pair of last words that we get from Jesus is what we call the Great Commission. And we can see this in Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to read it now. So in verse 16, Matthew chapter 28, verse 16, if you want to turn there, actually, I should have told you that. I'll give you a second to turn there if you want. We've got these phones now that have an awesome just access to everything. You could literally just go into Google and type in Matthew 28 if you're lazy. Um, so Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, 
And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Probably, I'm just going to say it, it was probably Thomas. He's probably the one that doubted. Um, Then in verse 18, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. So, These are Jesus' last, last words before he ascends to heaven. And for the disciples, this was serious business. This was their mentor. This was their teacher, the man that they've devoted their life to. He's standing in front of them on a mountain, and he's speaking his final message to them. These were words that were important to the disciples. Guess what? You and I are also disciples, and therefore these words should be important to us, especially Jesus' command to go and make disciples. Now, what does it actually mean to be a disciple? Well, the word disciple, here's the thing. The word Christian is only seen in the Bible probably about three or four times. The word disciple is seen in the Bible over 300 times. It's this word that defines us. If you've grown up in the church, a lot of times the world looks at Christianity. The word Christian is somebody who goes to church. So if you go to church on Christmas and Easter, boom, you're a Christian. And that in the popular culture is really what it boils down to. I say, let's call ourselves disciples. What that means is a follower. It's somebody who follows Jesus. Back in the day, in the time of the Bible story, the biblical narrative, we have these ancient rabbis who would cruise around. These were teachers of the Torah, the teachers of Scripture. They knew the Bible, and then they had what was called disciples, and they would follow their rabbi around. They were obsessed with their rabbi's teaching. It would be like today, you know, if you were so, you know, if those of you guys who were in high school or college, you know, if you were so into what your math teacher was saying, you followed him around and you were like, please teach me fractions and equations, or I didn't make it that far in math. That's like as much as I know. Um, but, you know, please teach me. And he's like, I need to go home. I have a life. Leave me alone. You know, that's what they did. They followed around their teacher, their rabbi, because they wanted to learn from them. And we are called to follow Jesus in a way where we're not just a fan of Jesus. Sometimes we treat following Jesus the way we treat following someone on social media. Jesus says something, and we're like, oh, that's a great saying, Jesus. Like. I like that. That's, that's, a, great, that's a great little, you know, pick-me-up for the day, a great little theological statement. No, we are called to not look at Jesus like we look at our social media accounts. We are called to be an actual follower in the sense that we're like, Jesus, what do you have for me? What are you trying to say to me? I'm going to write it down. I'm going to listen. I'm going to apply it to my life. The world is confused about what it actually means to be a Christian. You know, the origin of the word Christian actually was it was old school, ancient, Near East trash talk. That's what it was. It was an insult. Basically, you've got these Christ followers, and the Roman society, the secular society, looked at these Christ followers and said, look at these little, they're like mini Christs. They're Christians. That's what it meant. You were so much like Jesus, you were like his little mini-me, a follower, a disciple. So for us, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Well, what were the disciples all about? Think back to the beginning. So Jesus walks up 
to Peter and James and Andrew, and they're sitting there in their boats. They're a part of the Zebedee fishing company. That's what their dad did, and so they followed suit. So they're sitting there in their boats, and then Jesus walks up, and he's like, hey guys, I see you're fishing for fish, but what if we fished for men? Which sounds crazy, actually. Like, think about it at the time. Like, you're catching fish, and this guy comes up, and he's like, hey, what if we what if we went out and caught people? It's, it sounds weird. It, it, can we just acknowledge that that sounds weird? But they got it. They were like, there's something so compelling about this man with his crazy catching of people talk. We're going to follow him and see what he's all about. And they dedicate the next years of their life to following Jesus around, going where he went, staying where he stayed, doing what he did, eating what he ate. They became fishers of men. It was this idea to go, and you are a disciple, but now you're called to go and reproduce a disciple. You're called to go and not bring people to church necessarily. You're not called to fill chairs. You're not called to bring people to sit and listen to your pastor. You're called as a Christian to find people to come and now join into the work of what God is doing and become a part of the great story of the gospel. Now, how many of you guys are church kids in the sense that you were born and raised in the church. Anybody? Yeah, like, so the litmus test is, you know, when I say the word veggie tales, like, what does that mean to you? Does it bring back fond memories? Are you, like, immediately humming noises? If you're like, what is veggie tales? It's like this great show where, like, there's a talking cucumber and tomato, and they tell Bible stories. If you're not, a, if you haven't grown up in the church, you're like, is this a cult? What have I just walked into? Um, <clears throat> you know, Here's the thing, though. If you were born into a Christian family like I was, I was born and raised into the church. If you're born into a Christian family, a lot of times you're like a soldier with amnesia. Think about it. Imagine this. You wake up on the battlefield, and there's bombs going off, grenades being thrown, bullets flying by you, and someone puts a gun into your hand, and you're just like, what am I here for? What am I fighting for? What is this battle all about? When you're born into the church, not, you know, you're converted out of your sin, but you're born into the church. It's like that. You're thrown into this spiritual battle, and there's people all around you saying, we've got to fight for the Lord, and someone puts a Bible in your hand, you're just like, what is going on? That's how a lot of times we grow up in the church, and I don't think we're called to live that way. As a soldier with amnesia, it's so much better to fight when you know what it is you're fighting for. Now, when it comes to making disciples, my question for you is, is that your mission? Like when you think about your mission in life, like what your life is all about, do you think I am a disciple maker? Is that what is at the top of your to-do list on a regular basis? Or are you like, uh, I'm a barista. I work at the Bible college. I, I work in the cafe or the library. Or, you know, I, I work at Starbucks. Or, you know, I, I work in construction. Or whatever it is. Do you see yourself defined by your career? Or do you see yourself defined by your schooling or your family? Or do you see yourself as defined the way that God says you're defined as someone who is a disciple, a follower, and called to participate, not just spectate, but participate in what God has to do and say in this world? You know, when I was growing up, my mission in life was to be funny. Like, I just, like, I, I didn't have a lot going for me, you know. In the looks department, I was this chubby kid with a giant afro. I did not know how to dress myself. I would wear, like, six collared shirts and, like, a jacket and, like, a scarf. I looked like Doctor Who, the one from the 70s, with, like, the crazy scarves. Like, that's what I look like. So, you know, just, yeah, just a lot of bad luck with the ladies. Every girl I ever asked to go to any dance or anything was like, oh, 
I, I'm so sorry, I can't go. I, I have, I'm actually supposed to die that day, so I can't, <laughs> I can't be there. I'm so sorry it came up. Um, yeah, that was my life. And so, you know, because I wasn't this good-looking, you know, sh- like just, you know, charming person, I was like, I've got to have something else. So I became the funny guy, you know, and so I'd introduce uh, myself to people through, you know, cartoon voices. I'd be like, oh, hello, hi-ho, uh, Kermit the Frog here, and, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, judging by the awkward silence, yes, that's what I went through in high school. I'd walk up to people, and it was awkward. And they're like, what are you doing? That was my life. <laughs> Sometimes it still is. Um, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I had these ideas about how my life was going to be, you know? I I wanted to go to film school, and I wanted to become a director, and I wanted to become a producer and write movies and direct and act. I wanted to move to L.A. I was going to become a voice actor and do all this stuff. And, you know, that was what I wanted to do. When I was uh, 18 years old, I ended up starting a startup company with one of my best friends. It was like puppetry. (laughs) We were trying to be the next Sesame Street. Um, We had a studio. We had a guy who, you know, funded us like $50,000. So now I'm like this crazy 19-year-old vice president of this startup company that failed terribly. Um, Like after nine months, we lost everything and it was terrible. Um, But I had all these ideas of what I wanted to do, you know, who I was going to marry, where I was going to go, what college, what career. And I was so wrapped up in just my ideas of what my life was supposed to look like. Maybe some of you guys can relate. You're in that age and that zone where all you're thinking about is what's next, what's next. And I can tell you that God's purposes for my life are so much better better. They ended up being so much better than anything I ever dreamed. If I would have followed my dreams to Hollywood, I would probably be working as a waiter right now. That is probably, like, I, I see now the extent of my lack of ability and talent. I couldn't see that when I was 19. I thought I was the bee's knees. But now I look back, and wow, God spared me from what was not his plan for me. God led me into, you know what changed for me was when God led me to volunteer in the middle school ministry at my church. When God led me to volunteer and be a part of identifying with someone else and helping them, and it got my focus off myself. And it's been this journey for me of following Jesus. It started with volunteering in middle school ministry, and it led to going to England to Bible college where I met my wife, Brooklyn, and, and back to America where I continued to volunteer and eventually got a job at a church doing graphic design and web design and then eventually got asked to be the junior high pastor, and now I'm the high school pastor. It's been this this 12-year journey of following Jesus. And looking back, I can tell you there is nothing better about God's plan for your life. Whatever your plan is, I encourage you, hold it like this, not like this. Hold it open-handed and say, God, if you want to change my plans, God, I would rather have your plans because they're so much better. And if you're hearing this, you know, and, and if you feel like there's a calling on your life, we are always battling with this idea of, I can't do it because I'm limited. We know our limitations. We know, like, when you look in the mirror, you see what you don't want other people to see. You look into, first, there's the outward appearance and the things that we cover up, but even on the inside, we see our limitations and we think, I can't do anything for the Lord because I'm too much of a sinner. I can't measure up. I can't do it. My encouragement to you tonight is it's not about what we can do. It's about what God can do in and through us. And we think a lot of times, I can't serve God. And before I go further, let me just say, this is not a talk about how you need to grow up and work at a church like me. 
God needs people outside the church walls in jobs like barista and construction worker and office employee. God needs those people to be spirit-filled out in the workplace, out in their community, impacting Jesus. So this is not me saying, you know, go into ministry. Listen, every Christian is called to full-time ministry. Whether or not they work for a church, that, that's up to the Lord, but we are all a part of the church, and we all work for the Lord. So, a lot of times, we're called to serve the Lord, but our sin pushes us away from Christ. We, we look at our sin, we look at the depths of our own darkness, and we say, I can't do this, I can't follow Jesus. Listen, your sin should be pushing you to Christ, not away from him. This is what we think a lot of times. We, we, we get the calling of God in our life. He calls us to something, whether it's within the church walls or outside of it. God calls us to something. And what we say is, you know, mm, that sounds great, Lord, but I got to get my life together and then I can follow you. I've got to get all my ducks in a row. Everything's got to be perfect. Listen, Jesus says to you, it's not about you getting your life together and following me. It's about you following me and me getting your life together as you follow me on the journey. The disciples were mess-ups. The 12 disciples were often fools. They would make mistakes constantly, and yet Jesus called them in all of their failures and flaws and said, follow me along, and their lives were transformed because of it. In 1 Peter 2.9, Peter says this, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Did you know that you are called to holiness? You are, every single one of you in this room, are called to holiness. What what does the word holy mean? When I grew up, you know, I would hear verses like, be holy as I am holy. You know, it's the Lord speaking. And I would just be like, uh, I I can't, like, it's impossible, I make mistakes all the time, like, this verse, why is it in the Bible? It is unattainable. And then, as I started to study the word holy, what I discovered is, when, when, it's, when it's said to us in the scriptures to be holy, it is not a calling to perfection. That's not what the word is intended to mean in that usage. The call to holiness is a call to be set apart for a purpose, See, God is holy. He is so different from us. He's so set apart. I, I love uh, the image the Bible Project videos use. They, they throw the sun up there and they show us, okay, the sun is different from humans. It is, it, it is in a metaphorical way holy in the sense that it is bright and brilliant and if you get too close to the sun, what happens? You are destroyed by the power of it. In the same way, God is set apart. He's so different from us. He's so holy and amazing and he calls us to be holy, not in the sense that he wants us to start glowing and like, you know, obliterating people with like holy power. No, he wants us to be set apart for a purpose. Um, I think about my tea kettle in my office. I have this little tea kettle. That tea kettle is holy in the sense that it is set apart for the purpose of what? Tea. So when I was the middle school pastor, I remember I came into my office and there's this weird smell and I was like, what is going on? And I look inside my tea kettle and they had poured Diet Coke and for some reason, they had put light bulbs in my tea kettle. So there's just like two floating light bulbs and Diet Coke. They defiled the holiness of my tea kettle by using it for something that it was not meant to be. Now, holiness sounds like a ton of responsibility, like to be set apart for the purpose of God's kingdom, right? That's what you're called to, to be set, not perfection. You can't be perfect. Jesus can. You follow the perfect one, and as you go, he helps you grow 
but you're called to be holy in the sense that you are to live a life that is set apart for the purposes of God. It sounds like a ton of responsibility. Who here loves responsibility? Anybody? Um, most of you, yeah, pretty much, there's a few people who are like, yeah, kind of, it's because you're a nerd. Um, no offense, but, you know, most of us don't like responsibility. Oh, that was so mean. I'm so sorry. I should just leave. Um, you're, you're a good person if you like responsibility. Most of us, myself included, we don't. We shun from it. Like when, as, when we grow up, our parents come, hey, clean your room. Hey, I've got chores. And we're like, I would much rather play PlayStation and watch TV. Like I don't want responsibility. Responsibility can be crushing. Um, I remember for me one time I was um, growing up and I went on this school field trip on this boat called the Star of India. Did anyone go on that field trip? The Star of India. It's like down by the San Diego docks or harbor or whatever. It's this giant like old pirate ship and basically you have to like get on it and like reenact what it's like to be a sailor in like Columbus's day or something. It's super weird. So I'm on this ship with, I'm like in sixth grade with my classmates and we're staying the night sleeping out on the deck and all this crazy stuff. There was this one-eyed woman who like played the captain. She was super mean and um, she, for some reason, she took a liking to me, and she was like, ah, oh, lad, I'm going to give you some responsibility. Here's the hammer of responsibility. And she gave me this weird little, like, wooden judge's gavel, and she's like, you hold this, and now you have certain responsibilities you've got to carry out, lad. And she gave me this list. I was just so excited about the hammer that I completely forgot to do all the things that were on my list. And in one of the worst moments of my life, the next day, because I had forgotten to do the chores that she had given me, in front of all of my sixth grade classmates, she called me out in front of everybody, and she, she called me forward atop these steps, and she, in front of everyone, said, oh, this lad, he was supposed to do the responsibilities, but he failed. He's a horrible lad. And then she took the hammer from me and gave it to, like, my worst enemy at the time, this guy named Mike, and just, you know, so it was like the, it was like the worst thing ever. And then, no joke, no exaggeration, in one of the lowest points of my life, a seagull flew above me and just, 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 yeah, went just right on my head. Just like it was the worst. So responsibility can be terrible because we're scared of failing. Public failure in front of people can be crushing. Private failure can be crushing. And so we often avoid responsibility. Here's my encouragement for you. Listen up. I heard this quote when I was reading this book and it just, it's, it stuck with me. I love it. So we think often of the responsibilities God gives us and it's crushing to us, but the reality is it's not about our responsibility, but it's about our response to his ability. Think about the things that you have to do in your life, the things that are on your plate, the things that God has called you to do. A lot of times we think about these responsibilities and it just kind of is like this big like metaphysical like boulder in our mind where it's just like, oh man, it's gonna crush me, all these responsibilities. Listen, God doesn't look at you and say, hey, lift that boulder. No, God says, hey, watch me. And he lifts the boulder of responsibility and then he just says, hey, why don't you just put your hand right underneath mine? See, we are not called to be responsible. We are called to respond to God's ability. He is the one who does the work. He invites us to step into what he's already doing. Now, one of the main things that we're called to do is share the gospel. That's the reality. That is one of the primary, if not the primary directive of the church is spreading the gospel. Like the main mission of the church is not having really good speakers. It's not having amazing bands. It's not having good lighting. It's, I mean, all, and all this stuff is great. 
All that stuff is wonderful, but that's not the primary objective of the church. The primary objective is taking the words of Jesus, the words of life, and spreading that message so that people can come to know and experience God. And it's amazing that he wants to involve you and me in the redemption of humanity. And oftentimes we say, you know, that's, that's too scary. Like, I don't know about you. I don't know how excited you are to share the gospel on a regular basis. But for me, a lot of times I think, man, that, I mean, someone else should do it. Greg Laurie should do it. Levi Lusco should do it. We think of these people who fill out stadiums, and we're like, well, they seem to have it handled. Guys, if that is your way of thinking, you are being robbed of the glory that God has for you to participate in. You're being robbed of what God has set aside for you to be involved in. The Bible says that God has gone before us to prepare good works for us to step into and walk into. Guys, I want you to imagine something. Imagine a church building, kind of like this. And imagine, you know, you walk into the room and it is just glowing, just light, just beautiful light, and it's warm, and it's inviting, and you walk in, and you just feel at home, and you feel family, and you feel encouraged, and it's just like, like the most bright and beautiful church service you've ever been involved in, and then imagine you have this thought, like, man, I want the people outside of these walls to experience it, but then you start, you start looking around, and you notice that all of the windows are boarded up, there's no window into the outside room. It's just this room full of light that's contained. So then you go to the back door, and you start to open the door, and then somebody yells, don't open that door. Don't let the darkness in. A lot of times, that's how we think of church. If you've grown up in a Christian environment, if you've gone to a private Christian school, if you've grown up with Christian parents, a lot of times, the way that we look at the world is, the world is a dark and scary place and the church is a safe place. It's a secure place for us and we just don't want to be exposed to the darkness of the world. Don't open those doors. Don't let the darkness in and that's why our churches don't grow because we're so focused on ourselves that we're not even looking outside those walls. Why do we think if we open up the door that the darkness will destroy us? When has that ever worked? Like, can you be in a dark room and have a flashlight on and then someone can turn on a dark light and like destroy the flashlight? Light always overcomes the darkness. And we are called to go out into the world. We are called not to be of the world, but to be in it, to be a part of it. You know, like if you've grown up a Christian like me, a lot of times you've been taught, you know, that the world is a bad, scary place. And I remember one time I was out for a walk by the beach and I ran into uh, two parents from my church and these two moms, and they were like, oh, Pastor Aaron, it's just, it's so good to see you. You know, I'm just so glad that our daughters go to your youth group, and not the youth group down the street. They went, they went one time, and they came back, and they told us. There was, there was, it's just, it's so hard to even say, but there was some students there who were swearing. They were saying bad words, Pastor Aaron. You know what I said to them? I was like, you know what? I would love to have some kids who are swearing at my youth group. Why do I say that? Because I don't want just the same churchy kids who've grown up in the church and they're only there because they're the siblings of the kids who used to be in the youth group. I want people there who are fresh 
out of the darkness, brought into the light. They're, they still have the vocabulary of the world. They still have the thoughts of the world. They still have the, just the mindset of the world. I want them brought into the light so that the students there who've been exposed to the light can move in and, and just express to them who Jesus is and what he's all about. I want those kind of people around me. I don't want to say, oh, you, you said a bad word. Get out of here. No, I want people who are in sin, to be around the church so that the church can expose them to repentance and forgiveness and freedom. You know, a lot of times, um, like my church, Calvary Vista, the vision has always been upreach, inreach, and outreach. Just to be honest, though, a lot of times, many churches, they focus a lot on upreach, worship, inreach, what's going on at our church, potlucks and picnics and home fellowships. But there's a huge lack of emphasis a lot of times on the outreach. And a lot of times church is thought more of comfort and fun and entertainment for the members. You know, I, I was teaching at my Wednesday night service recently um, at my youth group. And it's this small, um, you know, little home fellowship group. We've got about, you know, 20 to 30 students that come. And we're sitting in this living room. And I was preaching on evangelism. And I was like, guys, you know what? What I want to see is I want to see every one of the seats in this room filled with a non-believer to the point where the rest of us have to sit on the floor to make way for the non-believers to have the best seats in the house. And some of the youth group kids were like, that doesn't sound good. Like, <laughs> like there's people in my group, there's kids in my group where like they will literally like stake out the couch in the living room. Like they'll, they'll wait to get the best seat. They'll be like, oh, wait, when's service gonna start? And they'll like totally move in and like mark their territory. It's because our mindset a lot of times in church is how can I make this great for me? How can I get encouraged? How can I get blessed? Think about this. Like imagine this. Imagine, you know, you've been shipwrecked with a bunch of other people and you're drowning and you're near an island, but you can't get to it. In your own effort, you can't swim. And then Jesus appears on the shore, and he throws out this life preserver, and you latch onto it, and he pulls you on shore. And you're like, thank you for saving me, Jesus. Oh, this is amazing. And Jesus is like, okay, yes, you're saved. This is great. This is wonderful. And then he gives you a life preserver, and he's like, okay, help me. we got to save more people. And you're like, nah, I'm good. Like, I'm, I'm going to go build a hut on the island for myself and like make this island experience pretty rad for me. I'm gonna build this little hut, I'm gonna put a little Jesus fish on it, I'm gonna worship you in that hut, it's gonna be such a great experience. That's what we do. We've been saved, and this is so hard for those of you like me who've grown up in the church because we haven't been pulled out of that darkness and we don't know what it's like. And a lot, oftentimes, if you're like me, our viewpoint of the lost, we can think of them in a judgmental way. We can just think, oh, they're the lost, you know what? They're, they're bad people, they're, oh man, I'm glad I'm not like them. We forget that the lost, that's not how God sees them. The definition of how God sees the lost is not, he doesn't call them the lost, he calls them the loved. And he wants to see them saved. You know, um, I was lo looking at this video of this youth pastor from the 90s. Um, if you ever want to see some awesome stuff, find youth group videos from the 90s. The youth pastor always has like a soul patch and like spiky hair, and it's, it's great. Um, but he was doing this illustration where he had this little goldfish bowl on stage, and there's like three goldfish swimming around, and he's talking about evangelism. He's just like, man, we need to get out and save people. We gotta get out and love people. And then he like, out of nowhere in the message, he 
reaches in with like a little net and like picks up the goldfish and he just chucks them into the audience. And like all these middle school kids are like, ah! like they're freaking out and they're trying to get the goldfish and like they're stepping on the goldfish and he's like, save the goldfish, save the goldfish. And they're like, we've got to save the goldfish. And he's like, if these goldfish don't get in water, they're going to die, save them. And the kids are like scrambling and they get the goldfish and they put them in the bowl and everyone cheers. And then the youth pastor's like, you know, honestly, guys, in this moment, we care more about these goldfish than we do about our unsaved friends, than the people who don't know Jesus. We don't care in the same way. Like, we go to school, we go to work, we go to college, and we see them, and we're just like, whatever. I'm on with my life. Man, it's so convicting. I hope you're feeling convicted. I am too, and I've preached this message a million times. It's always convicting. I was listening to Josh White, one of my favorite pastors over at Door Hope in Portland Teach, and he was talking about the church, and he was talking about evangelism, and he just said, guys, if the church is not being a witness, the church is not actually functioning as the church. I, 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 I love Keith Green. Keith Green's this musician from the 70s. He was my age when he died. He's got this big old afro. I just love the Lord, on fire, passionate for Jesus. And he wrote this song. It's this epic song called Asleep in the Light. Most worship leaders nowadays, they write awesome songs about worship. I don't really see a lot of people writing songs that are convicting, though. Keith was like a master of writing these convicting songs. There's this song called Asleep in the Light where he, he says, I'm going to quote the song. Do you see, do you see all the people sinking down? Don't you care? Don't you care? Are you going to let them drown? How can you be so numb not to care if they come? You close your eyes and pretend the job's done. Bless me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. You know, that's all I ever hear. No one aches. No one hurts. No one even sheds one tear. But he cries. He weeps. He bleeds. And he cares for your needs. And you just see, sit back and keep holding it in. Don't you see it's such sin? The world is sleeping in the dark that the church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. Did you catch that? The world is sleeping in the dark that the church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. The name of the song, Asleep of the Light, it's so good. We come to church often, and it's just, bless me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. Oh, man, I want to be comforted. I want to be encouraged. All that stuff is great. We should be comforted and encouraged in church. But if our focus of our Christianity is just to become a better you, to just grow and never exercise our faith and do the Great Commission, what are we doing? Guys, it is our king who keeps us safe. We think of the church or Bible college or Christian school or whatever. We think of it as a fortress, okay? We're like, oh man, I've got to stay at Bible college. I've got to just be that guy who goes to every class ever and graduates and then like still comes to the class even though he graduated and then like gets a job working there and just like forever I will be at Bible college and I don't care if I have to do chuck tracks a million times. I will because I just love Bible college. Listen, if our goal is just to be in a Christian bubble and never burst out into the world, what are we doing? The, the church is not meant to be a fortress. God is our fortress. Psalm 46 says a mighty fortress is our God. Listen, the church is not a fortress. It is a place of worship. It is a place of comfort. And it is a training ground for the battle outside of the church walls. Any of you guys play sports? Yeah? Or have you been athletic in your life, like in school? Like... <laughs> Some of you guys are like out of school now, so you're like, no, I'm, I didn't go pro. <laughs> um, I was not a sports guy. Um, I played basketball in eighth grade, um, shot once the entire season, 
for the other team, their, their basketball hoop. Uh, I was the guy who literally was on the bench so much, I just started bringing like books and reading them on the bench. Yeah. Um, my, Evan Wickham was actually my football coach. Weird, it was a different time. And I remember um, I showed up for football practice like for the first day and Evan was like, okay, run. And I was like, yeah, no. And I, I left. I never came back. Um, and that's why I look like this. Anyway. Um, but here's the thing, okay? Whether you're a sports person or not, or what's the word? Athlete. Not sports person, it's athlete. Whether you're an athlete or not, I love this analogy, okay? We think of church, so, you know, whether it's Sunday or, you know, if this here is your church on a Saturday night or whatever, we think of church as the game. Like, oh my gosh, I got to get ready for Sunday. It's got to be amazing. I'm going to put on my Sunday best. I'm going to look good. I'm going to just go in and just like be so pure and I've repented and it's just going to be amazing. I'm going to shine for Jesus. Listen, church is not the game. It's the locker room speech. That's what it is. You go in and, you know, you, you're, you're, your assistant coach has been talking to the head coach, God, and he pulls out the playbook, the Bible, and you run through the plays and then you go out during the week and that's the game. Church is the locker room speech. The rest of the week while you live your life for Christ is the game. So witnessing is super scary. Like we're called to do that, to witness. When I was a kid, I had no problem witnessing because I had no self-awareness. <laughs> when I was a little kid, literally, like every person I talked to, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? He's pretty cool. You should check out Jesus. Like that, that was me as a child. And then I hit junior high and I realized my own awkwardness and I just retreated into this shell of awkwardness. And, and you know, here's been my journey. So I became a youth pastor. During this time, I have literally been living in the Christian bubble my entire life. I was a pastor's son. My dad was a church planner in Oregon. When I was seven, we moved to Vista. Dad took over that church, and I went to a private Christian school, and then I became a church janitor and a church graphics designer, and a church webmaster, and then a youth pastor. My whole life, like literally, like I, I like have never talked to a non-believer basically. Like that's my life. And then I start teaching the book of Acts to these middle school kids. And I'm reading the book of Acts and it's like Peter boldly declaring the gospel to crowds of unsaved people. So I'm preparing my messages and I'm like getting ready to tell kids, so go into your schools and be brave and share the gospel. And then God speaks to me and he's like, you're a hypocrite. Because you're called to preach this message, but you don't do this. I'm like, what are you talking about? God's like, Aaron, you don't tell people about Jesus. And I'm like, God, I am a youth pastor. I tell people about Jesus every Sunday and Wednesday. Thank you very much. And God was like, no, you tell Christians about how to be Christians. But the Bible doesn't say tell Christians how to be Christians as the primary objective of the church. The Bible says go and make disciples. And so I was conflicted. And I was just like, man, if I don't practice what I preach, I need to like go and teach Leviticus or something. Like that's, the, the, I you know, actually, then I'd have to, like, sacrifice goats in the youth room, and that would be weird. Um, here's the thing. God spoke to me and was like, Aaron, you've got to do it. You've got to step out in faith. I did not want to, but God kept bugging me about it. I was like, okay. So I used to study on Saturdays, and I just, I came up with this plan that every Saturday I would go to, like, some other town and post up at a coffee shop, and I would just be open to whatever God wanted to do. That's the first step. If you're taking notes, if you want to be a witness, the first step is just be open. So I'm in Oceanside, and I'm, I'm studying to preach, and I'm praying, and I'm like, God, I'm open. I'm really scared. If you want me to share the gospel, I will. So then 
God shows me this guy at the stoplight, just some random guy, and he's like, him, go talk to him. So I'm like, um, okay. So I start walking towards him, and then the light changes, and he like starts walking across the street. And so I'm like, okay. So I end up walking the other way. I'm like, it's too weird, it's too awkward, like I'm, I'm not going to follow him. And then God's like, no, follow him. And I'm like, I don't want to. God's like, no, chase him down. And I'm like, that's weird, God. He went that way. He saw me go that way. If I start following him, I'm going to look like a stalker. And God was like, yes, be a stalker for Jesus. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So I start walking towards him, and he looks over his shoulder, and he sees me, and he starts walking faster to get away from me. But I catch up to him, and I just put my hand on my, my, hand on him, and I'm like, hey, man. And he's like, whoa, what, what do you want? And I'm like, hey, listen, um, this is super weird, but Jesus loves you, and he's got a plan for your life, and he wants to save you from your sins and redeem you, and just you should get to know him. And the guy looked at me, and he was like, he's like, hey, I think I needed to hear that. Thank you. And then he walked away, and I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> it worked. Like, I had never done that before, but it worked. And I was just like, that's, whoa. So, so here's the thing. God wants us to step out in faith. But oftentimes we mess up, but he gives us second chances. Here's another example. I go to Oceanside a few weeks later. And I'm over by this little outdoor amphitheater, and there's all these skaters. And then there's this one guy who's just, you know, trailblazing on rollerblades. And he's just blading around, being awesome. And God says, you go talk to him. So I'm like, okay, I don't want to, but all right. So I start walking towards him, and then I get close to him, and I just totally give up and, like, go the other way. Just bail. And then he skates off. He blades off into the sunset. And I'm like, oh. And I sit down all defeated, and I'm like, Lord, oh, I'm so sorry, I, I blew it, you gave me this assignment and I just messed up. God, give me a second chance. Here's what I meant by that. I was like, God, bring me someone else. You know what actually literally happened? That guy turns around, skates over to me, sits down next to me, starts untying his shoes, and he starts a conversation with me. It was like this moment where I was like, oh my goodness, like, it's what the Bible says, like, God has gone before us and prepared good works for us to step into, and I was able to share with him. It was, it was incredible. Now, here's the other thing. Our weakness, our weakness often gets in the way. But God can use us despite our weakness. I don't get mad. I'm like super chill. I've had times in my youth ministry experience where I had like 15 junior high kids crammed into my office and they're like literally setting stuff on fire. And I'm just like, I'm in the corner sitting there and I'm just like, this is fine. This is great. It's all good. Like that's, that's me. I don't get mad. I don't get road rage. Like, I don't know. But there was this one day where I got really mad I was at the grocery store. I was running late for a junior high home fellowship. I had to pick up the snacks. So I'm there, I'm rushing, and I get a call from my dad. And my dad is like, Aaron, I just found this letter in the mail that came to our house instead of yours. And it says, you got a traffic ticket for going through a red light and like just doing that thing where you kind of don't stop. And you, like the camera got you, buddy. And I guess you haven't paid this, and if you don't pay this by tomorrow, you're going to owe, like, another $500 on top of the ticket. At that moment, I'm angry. Like, I'm going through the store, and I'm like, Oreos, graham crackers. Like, I'm throwing stuff in the basket. I'm just, I'm furious. Like, I'm, I'm, so, I'm just like, and here's the thing. I got that ticket on my way to preach somewhere. So I'm, like, driving to, like, a middle school to preach, and I totally just messed up. And, you know, there's no one on the road, no pedestrians. I'm literally the only person within a mile, and I totally didn't stop and just kind of rolled through the right-hand turn. And so I'm, like, I'm blaming God. I'm like, God, how could you do this to me? I was serving you, and now I've got this ticket. And, uh, I'm so mad. And then I go outside of Albertson's, the grocery store, and I see this girl 
this Albertson's employee, and she's got this apron on, and she's crying. And she, her eyes are just, you know, running down with the mascara and the tears, and she's, she's crying. And God says, her, talk to her. And I was like, I really don't want to right now because I'm having my own issues. Like, I've got my own stuff I'm going through. I've got a ticket. I've got to get these Oreos to the junior high kids. Like, I had my own deal. And God was like, you need to show her love. And I was just like, okay. So I, I go, I come up to her, and I'm like, hey. And she looks up, and she's like, what? Like, you know, she's like, who are you? Like, why are you talking to me? And I was like, hey, listen. No, literally, this is what I said. I was like, looks like you're having a bad day. Me too. Just the worst, like, the worst. And, and I'm just like, listen, I don't know who you are, but I want you to know that God loves you, and he sees every tear you cry, and he has a plan for you, and he loves you. And she literally just starts bawling. She starts crying her eyes out. She stands up, gives me this huge hug, and she goes, I'm a Christian, but I haven't been to church for like six months, and I've been so discouraged, and I've been praying that God would send me someone to encourage me. Thank you so much. It, it, I was, I, I literally started tearing up, and I was just like, I do not deserve this moment. Like, I was Jonah. In all these stories, I'm not the hero. I'm Jonah. I'm like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. But God works through our weakness, despite our failures. Here's another time I failed. So I, I started doing this so much that it got to the point where I started taking my youth group kids out. Once a month, we'd go to a random town. We'd just look at the map, pick a town, and go. So we go down to Encinitas, and I'm there with like 30 kids. We're going to go into the community, share the gospel, split up in groups, and I'm supposed to be the pastor leading them. And um, this surfer comes up to our group, and he's like, hey, what are you guys down here for? And I was like, you know, we're just hanging out. And he was like, okay. And he, he turned around the other way. And I, like the kids in my youth group were looking at me like, you're an idiot. Like, what, what, what on earth, man? Like, <laughs> we're not encouraged to share the gospel now to see that you chickened out. So then I break up into groups, and um, I've got, you know, two girls, two guys in my group, and there's this girl named Lexi, and I'm like, all right, guys, you know, I'm going to have you guys seek the Spirit. Who should we go and preach to? And this girl, Lexi, is like, maybe that surfer that you totally should have preached to, but you didn't. <laughs> and I was like, okay, Lexi. So we go, and that surfer's there with his friends. There's these, like, eight surfers, and they're sitting in the back of this pickup truck just, you know, being surfers. And I, I walk over. And here's how we preach the gospel in my group. We, we boil it down in a really simple way. Um, we don't complicate it. We just kind of, this is the way we think of it. Uh, sickness, cure, and then are you going to take the cure? You know, the sickness is sin, the cure is Jesus, and then give people a chance to respond. So we're just talking to these surfers, and we're like, hey, like, this is what we say, this is what we say to start conversations, because it's hard to start conversations. This is a really weird, but it, it works. It works. We walk up to strangers, and we just say, hey, have you heard the good news? And they're like, what, what's the good news? Like, are there free burritos? Like, what's going on? What's the good news? And we're like, and then we just tell them the good news. We tell them about Jesus. It's as simple as that. It's awkward and it's weird, but it works. So we start telling them the good news. We're going through the whole thing and they're listening and they're asking questions. And then it gets to the end and I feel like God is like, okay, seal the deal. But I don't want to. I'm like, uh, that's the awkward part where we're like, so would you like to accept our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? That's the part where you start to feel like a Mormon or something, you know? Um, like, so I, I, I didn't want to do it, but God pushed me and he's like, just, just ask them. Just don't walk away. Don't leave the ball in their court. Ask them if they want to receive the Lord. So we go through a whole thing and I'm like, so... Like, do you guys want to pray to receive Jesus? And there's like this pause, and then the leader of the surfers, he's got this like long floppy hair, and he's just like, yeah, yes, bruh, yeah. And then he turns to his friend, he's like, you guys in? And they're like, yeah, let's receive the Lord. And we start 
praying, and then there's this other surfer who's sitting in a car next to us, and he's, he's got his windows down, and he like pokes his head out, and he's like, uh, hey, I was eavesdropping. Um, can, I actually need Jesus too. Can I pray with you guys? And he's like, I'm shirtless. Is that okay? Is that appropriate? <laughs> and so he prayed with us, and it was so sweet. We're going through the prayer, and I, I'm not, I don't even know like, what the sinner's prayer is. Like, I'm, I always just kind of come up with some prayer on the spot. I'm like, repeat after me. So we're just praying, and, you know, Lord, I love you. Lord, thank you for saving me. Lord, I give my life to you. And then at the end, I'm like, in your name, amen. And this one surfer's like, Brian, amen. <laughs> he signed his name onto the end of it. It was, it was adorable. It was so cute. <laughs> um, Here's the thing, like, again, I'm not the hero of these stories. I hope you can see the pattern that, like, in all of these great stories that God gave me that are encouraging, it's not me being like, all right, so here is evangelism 101. I am the expert. I've got an evangelism ministry. Let me tell you how it's done. Here are my five ways. Like, no, I am just, I'm a human. I am a nobody. I don't even know why I'm here. I, I, I am just some random youth pastor at some little church. I'm, I'm, I'm nobody. I'm nothing. And I'm just here to tell you that we are all called, no matter what our stature is in this world, we are all called to serve Jesus. This is not a pastor thing. This is a Christian thing. And he really does work through our failures. Here's, here's another story of my horrible ineptitude. <laughs> um, I, I got a little too confident. I, I got in the flesh because this was like after all this has happened, at this point, I kind of start to feel like I'm Mr. Evangelism, you know? And so I'm like, man, I'm pretty cool, you know? And I'm walking around, I'm listening to this Bible study, and I'm down by the grocery store. There's like this little woodsy area, and I'm taking a walk. Um, I love taking walks. It never does me any visible effects, but I love doing it. So I'm out walking, and uh, I'm like praying, and I'm like, God, you know, this whole evangelism thing's pretty cool, you know? And I'm starting to get pretty good at it, you know? And so, you know, if you want to send me somebody today, God, I will witness the heck out of them. Like, I, I will just evangelize them into heaven. So, God did. He sent me somebody. Literally, I'm walking. This gangster, like, long-haired, tattooed gangster comes out of the bushes, and he's like, whoa! And I'm like, whoa! And he's like, you! And I'm like, me? And he's like, yeah, man. He's like, what's up, S.A.? He's like, give me your phone. I'm like, oh. He's like, I got to call my friends. Give me your phone. And at this point, I think I'm, he's going to stab me and take my phone. So I give him my phone, and he calls his friends. He's like, can you give me a ride? No. Oh, beep, 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 beep. And, you know, just, I'm like sitting there like, oh. Like, he gives me back my phone. He's like, hey, man, can you give me a ride? And then I, I had a low moment in my life because I lied. But it was like the worst lie. I was like, this is what I said. I was like, oh, you need a, a ride? I I would, but my wife just called me, and we're out of grapes, and I got to go get grapes. That's what I came up in the moment, that I needed grapes. So he's just like, whatever, man. He starts taking off, and the Lord's speaking to me, and he's like, Aaron, you're blowing it, man. You're blowing it. This is your opportunity. You're blowing it. And, and I was so convicted, and then I lied again. I don't, like, two wrongs don't make a right, but it's all I could think of. So I literally was like, hey, my wife just texted me. She found some grapes in the back of the fridge. Let's do that ride, man. He's like, oh, sweet. So we get in the car. We start driving around. And, you know, I'm horrible at navigation, so I'm trying to, like, listen to his directions, but, like, also talk to him. And so we're, like, getting lost, and, like, it's this long, awkward drive. The first thing he says to me, I'm like, hey, man, like, so tell me about yourself. And he's like, man, dude, if it weren't for graffiti... I would probably be a mass murderer. And I was like, cool, this is great. Um, 
And then he's like, I just got out of prison. I'm just like, oh my gosh, where do you want to go? How can we get there faster? <laughs> like, it was, you know, but the Lord was speaking to me and he's like, trust me, trust me. I've got something for you here. This is an opportunity. So I start asking him to just tell me more, more about himself. And he's like, man, he's like, you know, he, he just started opening up to me out of nowhere. It was so weird. He was just like, he's like, man, I could never live up to my mom's expectations. I could never be what she wanted me to be. I was always falling short, you know, and I got into drugs and I got into gangs and I got thrown into prison. He's like, man, honestly, I'm just, I'm a failure. And the Lord just like, it was like he beamed these words into my heart and I was just like, you know what? I was like, actually, I'm a, I'm a pastor and I feel the same way as you. I can never measure, measure up. I always fail. I always make mistakes. I just, I always blow it. But I was like, you know what's great, man? So Jesus came and he lived the perfect life. He met the standard in a way that we never could. And when we choose to follow him, his righteousness actually becomes our righteousness. And God looks at us and he sees perfection. And the guy, like, he looks at me and he's like, he's like, you're the guy. And I was like, what? And he's like, when I was in prison, I prayed for the first time. And I said, God, I want to know you, but I don't know how. Send me somebody to tell me what this is all about. And he like grabs my arm and he's like, you're the guy. And I was just like, oh my gosh. And so we, we talked and he had questions. But at the end, he prayed to receive Jesus. And he was just like, he was like, man, he's like, I'm the first guy in my friend's group that stopped doing drugs and I stopped drinking because I felt like God was preparing me for something. And now I know. He's like, now I know the truth. I know the gospel. And now I'm going to go back to those friends and I'm going to tell it to them. And it was just like, it was this mind-blowing moment. And I literally, I sat in my car teary-eyed afterwards. And I was just like, God, I do not deserve any of this. Like, I'm a failure. I'm a, I'm a nothing. And God spoke to me and he's like, it's not about the responsibility is about your response to my ability. I'm already doing the work. You are just called to step into it. Um, I'm going to ask the band to come up just as I finish because we're going to enter into a time of worship once again.